From New Orleans, welcome to Questions from the Waiting Room, a show that makes uncomfortable concepts easy to talk about. Dr. Nick Pajic, a practicing psychiatrist, will be your host and your guide as we dive deep into the human experience. I read this thing the other day that said, if you don't shower for about seven to 10 days, your body ends up going to an equilibrium where you no longer give off body odor. You don't smell good, but you don't smell bad. You just kind of smell neutral. And it talks about how in the past when humans didn't use the shower, that's just what happened. It's not like everyone stank or anything. Like it was a big stank fest. It was just everyone didn't smell like anything. But then we became so obsessed with like cleaning ourselves and mm-hmm. you know manicures, pedicures, whatever, um, that we just figured it was like the absolute norm to shower. Now, I'm not saying that I started not showering, <laughs> but I, I thought it was an interesting article to bring up. I think it's uh, interesting. Uh, I can t- tell you I almost killed my wife by frying onions uh, after doing some lawn work all day. Yeah. You know, like laying in the bed and where she won't even come near me. So yeah, you had onion breath and... No, no, I mean like super dirty underneath the uh, armpit breath, or armpit breath. Armpit so, breath, oh no, God. Not bad breath, but... um. Just under the arms. That's real bad. Sorry, I know this is disturbing. I I don't want anyone to think that way about me, but uh, but that's after you know showering and then working all day and then coming in. Yeah. Um, And I'm Serbian as well, so you being Eastern European, I probably have a little added genetic dose of. Oh yeah, um, I didn't know about that. Terribleness. Um, (laughs) And it's interesting because Napoleon used to tell his wife Josephine not to shower and not to or the or. you know, whatever they call showering in French. En français, qu'est-ce que c'est shower? Something like that. Uh, now I'm asking you what is shower <laughs> yeah, of course français. you're asking that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you took French for five yeah, years. Yeah, I did take French for five years, five what years you, ago. What, do you sit in the back of the classroom? Then you, you probably tested out at Tulane for your French, huh? Mm, that's why I had to take Spanish. Could you test it out of it? No, because I couldn't learn French. Really? Clearly. <laughs> Maybe you're missing some genetic uh, language thing where you yeah. only, you only get one in this lifetime. It's gone. <laughs> it's just a hole there. <laughs> well, he used to tell her when he came back from campaign, don't clean up or bathe. You know, a few like about a week before I get back because he loved smelling the essence of what it was, Josephine. Hmm, yeah, um, just human. It's human. Yeah. I I like. Um, I don't know. I I like. You know when you date somebody and you just crave their them and their, their, and their smell? smell? Oh, and, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a huge know, attraction quality, actually. There, more needs to be written about there. I'm sure people have PhDs in that, but mm-hmm. when you tell me this story, it makes me think of that. Yeah, just like the actual smell of human. Yeah, well, and somebody that you, you know, that you're in love you're with, compatible you. with yeah. um, pheromone-wise. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a, that movie called Two Nights in Paris. Have you ever seen that? I've seen Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. Is that... Different. Uh, yeah, it's different. It's with uh, Jenny uh, Delpy or something like that, um, and I forget the other guy, Adam, so something or other. But it's uh, pretty hilarious if you haven't seen it. Okay. But he talks about that about um, genetically, you're attracted to somebody who smells or genetically is different from you, so that your kids have more of a blend of good uh, genes uh, that have a better immune system. Hmm. I have no knowledge of this is if that's accurate or not yeah that's interesting have you ever uh, broken up with anybody because you just weren't jiving with their smell and it took a while I've definitely to definitely not like someone like or not been attracted to someone because of their smell yeah mm-hmm. like i might find them physically attractive but then i'm not attracted to their smell very that's, interesting that's happened before yeah you could have sure. had babies with that person but then you decided their smell didn't go with my smell
Well, is it cool if I ask you a personal question now? David, every week you kill me with these personal questions, but if you must. Okay, well, I must. Who do you confide in more than anyone else? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, more than anyone else? Uh, I think my mom is somebody that I confide in all kinds of stuff before I got married, but I've only been married a, a relatively short time. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lifetime, let me tell you. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I love you, Laura. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously you get married, that's like your confidant. So, in my wife now, um, but in, in the past, I think my mom, she's pretty, uh, just a sharp woman, you know, knows, yeah. knows a lot. Yeah, is a tough, tough woman too. Uh, just intellectually a tough woman. So, I, I like that. Can I ask you a personal question, David? Yeah, ask me anything. Well, who do you, who do you confide in then? Um, or other, other than me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or who, who do you confide in the most? I suppose the most. Um, I'd say it's between it's between my best friend and then my other really good friend. Because my so my best friend, I'd say I confide in almost everything. Um, but then one of my other really good friends, we share a lot of the same mental states and like thoughts on things, thoughts on emotional things. So mm-hmm. I'd say I talk to him maybe just a little more about like how I feel in certain situations or about things and then my best friend about everything else except for maybe like the the deeper stuff I say for yeah my other friend but I'd say those two are are the people I confide in most I really I love talking to my parents about stuff but there's always things that I don't want to tell them and talk about that you can talk about friends with well if you need anybody to confide in I'm your man yeah okay cool I appreciate it So what's been going on? What's what's up with you? Oh, well, we're excited because at the at our office we just hired a new therapist uh, named Emily, and uh, she's fantastic. Has a lot of experience. So oh, cool. Uh, but hiring and firing people both stressful things. I don't I don't know. I'm, I didn't learn management in college, um, but kind of doing it as I go. You know, these last uh, several years in practice, and so. Um, it's kind of stressful to find the right person. You know, it's like you're getting in bed with somebody, uh, business-wise. Yeah. And uh, clinically, you know, working with our patients. So, from my standpoint, hiring a therapist um, is great because it's an added service for people. Uh, so doing that, and um, I don't know, renovation saga at my house. You know, constantly renovating that, and it's exciting to see a project come to fruition. Yeah. Uh, I just wired up th- some back sconces with. Uh, my assistant's uh, husband is an electrician at Tulane. His name is Mike, and he plays the bass guitar, and he loves, I think, loves Led Zeppelin. Oh, nice. and so we always talk music and the electrical stuff. And uh, anyway, play together? No, we haven't played together. Um, we thought about doing that, but um, he kind of is a singer-songwriter himself, as a, as I am, uh, as am I, yeah. I should say. And so he's, you know, two 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 cooks in the kitchen won't work. I got gotcha. uh, you. know, but we, we might collaborate. Yeah, I bet mm. you can do something cool with that. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to find someone that has similar taste. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, then I've been taking the vocal lessons for uh, tr- trying to learn how to sing better, and it's uh, that's the other thing this week I did. Nice. So my coach my coach grabs my face and makes me sing, like, right at him. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking what I eat last night, make sure I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm clean. Um, and he... he pushes in on my abdomen and it's all about breathing and he challenges me and he tells me to shut up when I'm thinking too much. So it's nice to have somebody mm. take control and just, Yeah, take control uh, of almost your body. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, can you sing at all? No. No? Not really. 
I'd love to be able to. Really? Yeah, but I don't really. Oh, you've got to meet this guy. His name is Guy, guy sounds, Tim. Sounds like a good, intense coach, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's great. I really like him. That's cool. So, uh, what about you? Anything uh, interesting happen to you this week? Uh, the coolest thing I did um, last Friday, it was one of my friend's birthdays, and so we hosted a little pub crawl. Um, and we actually went to a bunch of pubs I hadn't been to before in New Orleans. Oh, where'd you go? It was on a Aretha or Castle Castle Highway. Yeah, Aretha Castle Highway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so we went to New Orleans Jazz Room, which is like a new pop-up, a really cool atmosphere. Um, uh, oh. Primitivo, and Perlu, and then Mexican place called Casa Borrega. So um, Primitivo is a place that has like the oxtail stuff. Yeah. Like all mm-hmm. those strange meats and stuff. Yeah, I didn't get to the food, but their cocktails were really good. Um, and then, yeah, where did we? I think we ended at Perlu, and that was just like a yeah. Every everywhere just had like a really cool vibe going That's on. Cool, yeah, it's been blowing up. New Orleans getting blown up, man. Yeah, it really I'm is. Loving it. All right, enough with the shenanigans, David. Yeah, these we gotta get some business. Get out of hand sometimes. We just, we're here, we're dilly dallying around in in our lives. We need to get busy, busy, and do some work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today's first question from the waiting room. I feel like I'm having an identity crisis. Whenever I'm with other people, I put on masks and don't ever feel sincere with what I'm saying. This has been happening since I was about 12 and now I'm 19. Do you have any tips of how I can find myself and feel a little more authentic? Mm. This person might be just a little shy and a lot of people have shyness. It's one of the most common types of anxiety is social anxiety disorder. So if it's just shyness and being authentic, I think you have to flesh out what are the the, the negative self-talk that the person's having about their, you know, social situation there. You know, are they telling, are they t- saying negative things about themselves to themselves and have like kind of a, a, a running monologue uh, and, and too worried about how they're going to be perceived. So when that's really bad, it's called social anxiety disorder and it can really be uh, uh, disruptive to someone's life, it can prevent them from putting themselves in new situations or going to parties or even where they sit in a classroom, that type of thing. And so it's interesting because the person's asking that, well, they're saying that they put on a mask and they don't really feel sincere in what they're saying. And that's one thing, but then how do I be more authentic? So I would ask this person like, so have they tried to be sincere in what they're saying and, and test that hypothesis of you know, what, would, what would happen if they actually were themselves? And they're also, uh, from 12 to 19, that's a formative period. So I wonder who their parents are and if if somebody modeling for them not to be sincere that you don't share like how you're actually feeling. Mm -hmm. It it signals a lack of trust in relationships to some extent. And I think it's it's also helpful to know that if you're direct with people, then you can can get more of what you want, you know, uh, by expressing your needs. And so that's something I think a lot of polite people have, have trouble with, you know. They may harbor uh, their needs, not to just say, I guess, plight people, but in the family system, it's like, was this person able to uh, communicate their needs to their their parents and maybe siblings? And if not, why why not? Um, I would say try being authentic. Now, uh, there's something called nonviolent communication where you can express a need and get what you want without really upsetting somebody. You know, say you have a conflict or something like that, and you need to express a need. It's where you state how you're, uh, you state what happened that's causing the conflict. You express a need and you make a request after that and say, you know, for now on, um, you know, can you do this A, B, C, or D for me? Like if you were late for an appointment with me, 
and say, we are buddies meeting up and I got there early and you were a half an hour late, I might say, David, when you were late for the appointment, um, I felt uh, anxious. That's my need, or that, excuse me, that's how I'm, I'm stating how I felt about it. Right. And then, um, you know, because I need to know that, that you value our relationship and, True. you know, our time here. And it makes me feel like you don't when that happens. Um, in, the, in, the, in the future, could you just text message me when you're going to be late? Although I'm probably running all, all the time late <laughs> in reality. but um, Yeah, but that's a good example. That way I don't put it, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying how I feel and I make a request and therefore it allows you to kind of actually make good on that and say, yeah, sure, sure, you know, I'd be happy to do that. Oh, I didn't know you felt anxious. Yeah. I'd and it's cool how it's, it's not an attack at all. Like it doesn't sound like defensive or offensive at all. It's just kind of stating yeah. like how you feel. Yeah. yeah. I and like that. You, you can own your own feelings. And so I would tell this person too, if you are worried about expressing yourself, you, you know, it's not a crime to have feelings. You're a human being. And this might that might be um, foreign to the person if they're not if they're not expressing their, their feelings. Yeah, but it can be a cool thing. I think it's just part of, about becoming an adult. You know, getting to know who you are. Definitely. Um, and if they don't know who they are, they may they may need to seek out more experiences and things that they think they might like. Mm-hmm. Because I think once you kind of know what you're willing to, you know, what's something that's really worth it, you know, then you can start talking about that thing. You know, whether it's learning a foreign language or for me, like playing basketball, you know, I end up talking about doing it. And if you're excited about something you're doing, you, you know, you may not care about what other people think of it because it's your relationship with the thing. Yeah. You know, sorry. I'm, I don't know. Like going over no, that's interesting. It, I mean, asking the question to yourself, what defines you is like, I couldn't answer that. But I also don't think like a lot of people can necessarily what defines them? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I frankly might be kind of scared to say what defines me because then it limits, you know, it's like, oh, if I say these three things, then what about everything else? Well, that makes me think of just growing up in general. I think I remember being in my 20s and traveling a lot, you know, and going to Europe and yeah, I found myself being kind of bored in a sense because I was just a foreigner living in Europe and right. and I wasn't doing anything. I, was, I mean, I was studying. But I always kind of, I wanted more. I wanted a richer experience. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom I have now of being in my late 30s is, you know, the, the, the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. It's like you can't escape yourself. Yeah. And I thought one of the more calming things for me in life was to put down roots and to commit to one thing. So you're saying, if you, you, you just said, if I commit to an, an identity of like, what, what, what did you call it? Just three things, almost three labels. Three labels of, or things that you're into, it excludes all the rest of them. Well, I would say it actually, it opens doors to other things. So you can more thoroughly define who you are. And those initial things, those labels were just you at the age of 20, whatever you are Mm -hmm. now, you know, 24 or something. And you can always kind of redefine who you are. Yeah. You know, um, if, if you don't enter those or go through those doors of experience and like, and even in labeling, you, you then you end up with an analysis paralysis of like, well, which, what door should I pick? Something like that. Yeah. But you may have been saying something different too. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, a, that's the better. Yeah. I like that way of looking at it. Maybe. Uh, one thing you were mentioned about defining yourself too, I'd say to, to anybody is to ask himself, you are what you love in a sense. You know, that's kind of who you are. And, and, and things that you love are things that are worth sacrificing for. Yeah. That's what, like one kind of version of love, I think, is a helpful way to think about it. Yeah, that's cool. So, like, if you love music or if you love art, 
I mean, those things, the things that you do, you know, kind of re reflect back to yourself who you are. Yeah. And you can't, you know, and that's not really faking it. You can't fake that you love something, you know, that you're really interested. So let me ask you, what things are you, what do you love to do? <laughs> that's a hard question. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, eating. You know, I love eating. Ah. I love experiencing new foods. Okay. And just tasting different things. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely up there. Okay. And so do you cook yourself or? I do cook, but yeah, I need to get better at cooking. But I just really love experiencing like different chef's cuisines and seeing what these professionals of cooking come up with. Ah, well, there you go. That might lead to something down the road. Yeah, yeah for sure. Or it may just lead to really cool experiences eating. Yeah. What about you? Oh. What do you love? Oh, what I love? What do I love? I love applying science to uh, real life. I feel like I have kind of a, a laboratory of sorts being in private practice. Yeah. I know it sounds bad, but, you know, I get through, I love reading research and applying that research to someone's difficult case and getting them well. Lately, we do the transcranial magnetic stimulation, and I love reading about that stuff and applying it. It's, yeah. it's really neat. Awesome. Um, I, I love um, design and architecture and uh, restoring a house to having it just being really beautiful and adding the fine touches and also fixing it thoroughly, you know, not doing kind of a half-baked job, but like going in and, you know, fixing the plumbing, the electrical, yeah. the hardwood floors, adding the right touches. So when people walk into a space that they feel good, um, I don't know, there's something about that, you know, when you go into a restaurant, it just makes you feel like staying there longer. Yeah, the it gets you happy, energized, yeah. yeah. But in the back of my house, I'm trying to make, make it to where when you walk out, there's a natural path that you're your mind wants you to go. You know, I think our minds desire uh, predictability and, you know, sharp lines and, um, you know, or clean lines, I should say. And so I think our human minds enjoy that. So when you see it in a building or a structure, it makes you feel like there's some control and some organization there. So anyways. Yeah, super <laughs> cool. <laughs> I think one other note on this. Um, yeah is uh, like a, a little while back I did this like defining values exercise. Mm -hmm. um, so it starts with, uh, you can like type in values or people's values in Google or whatever and it'll give you maybe like a list of 200 words, each one of them being a possible value. Um, and then you just kind of look at it and you round it down until eventually you have about 10. Hmm. And then you rate those 10 um, from one to 10, one being your biggest, most important value. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of helps like really make you think on what's important in your life, whether yeah. that be, you know, family, adventure, creation, stuff like that. But I thought that that was a pretty helpful te technique. Do you remember what you came up with? I know, like, I know creativity was really high up there. Family and friends were high up. Adventure, like, and just new experiences. I think those were pretty high up. But I, yeah, honestly, I need to revisit that list. Yeah, that's, that's great. It sounds like a very helpful exercise. Yeah. So how did it help you kind of, or did it, help you change your behavior or what yeah maybe a activities? little bit i think once i realized like how important maybe creativity was for me you know i wanted to explore more possible yeah. things that i could create so it got me a little more into like music at the time and kind of just learning new skills in general but yeah i think so i think something like that would be good for me to revisit yeah i don't think i've had it yeah makes me think of crepes on a plane yeah exactly crepes on a plane So the next question from the waiting room. I love my boyfriend more than he loves me. My boyfriend is my biggest priority, and if it was up to me, we would be together all the time. 
He has a different mindset on our relationship. In his opinion, I'm a priority, but his friends and his career are on the same level. I totally get this, but I also don't know how to handle it. I want to accept it and be happy and move on, but I get anxious when he's not around. I want to be able to compromise and not worry about this, but it's so difficult to change. Do you have any recommendations of how I can feel okay with this love gap? You know, I think a relationship, you know, the, the partners in a relationship, um, if they get too close, if you don't have enough separation, it can really stifle a relationship. And I like the, I like the metaphor of a Greek temple and how the columns are far enough apart to hold up the structure, in this case, the structure of the relationship. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, also, I'd, I'd ask the person, you know, how do you know that your boyfriend, uh, or that you love your boyfriend more than he loves you? And is it not that he doesn't not love the person, but is it more that he's more independent and she's more dependent? Right. And so if there's dependency issues going on, then you got to go back to, you know, childhood, how the person was raised, how close were they were with their parents, and for them to develop more of a sense of independence because it can be very unattractive to be glommed onto, yeah. like, you know, you know, someone's clinging to you. Um, but I have empathy for the person because if they've never broken away from their, you know, parental unit and now they're dating some guy and he's the, you know, the, she's, you know, clinging more to that, mm-hmm. uh, it might really kill the relationship. And so I would get into psychotherapy and start talking about like where this idea that the boyfriend doesn't love the person and then just uh, determining, um, you know, some strategies to be more independent. So that would be getting some other friends, uh, developing some hobbies that the person can engage in. Yeah. Um, the hard thing with that is, you know, it's hard to convince somebody that that's what they should do. You know, sometimes people have to come to that on their own and be like, well, maybe if I do these other things and, and that she would, she would learn, have to learn also to trust her partner that he wasn't just going to go like ditch her because she was doing her own thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of thought loops that might run through that person's head saying, well, he's going to leave me if I do, if I'm not so attentive to him. When in fact the opposite is true. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So are you glomming onto anyone lately? <laughs> me? No. No? Okay. <laughs> Maybe you. No, I don't think it's me. I mean a rom- romantic glom. A romantic glom? No. Let me think. I've had some, uh, I've dated some in my, my, in my 20s where uh, I know I would, used to date uh, sophisticated older women, you know, like yeah. a couple, like two so or five older. years older. Oh, okay. But back then, you know, in your 20s, it's like if your girl's 20, if you're, if, if you're 22 and somebody's like 24, that's like a big it's difference, leap. you know, yeah. in some respects. So especially if, I don't know, because the girl wants you to have money and have a car and have a job. And <laughs> I was just some scrub in school for eternity. Yeah. So I uh, could never do those things and really feel like I was, a you know, uh, grown up. Yeah. Of sorts. There's something about you that was exciting, though. If an older girl wanted to date you, that's cool. Oh, well, <laughs> it wasn't always good. No. <laughs> no, I think it was, uh, I don't know, there's, you know, there's sometimes older women that want to take care of somebody younger, and mm-hmm. so there's that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it was probably having someone kind of be caring, and, you know, we're now we're getting into mommy issues. So in a nutshell, yeesh. Ye shall not glom. <laughs> For some reason, I can't get the ye out. Ye, ye, ye shall not glom. Ye, oh, ye. Ye, ye, ye shall not glom.
Okay, so let's talk about our psych fact of the day. Yeah. I'm on to the historical figures. Abraham Lincoln, he took mercury pills for depression. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty depressed throughout uh, much of his life. And uh, they called it the Lincoln Horrors. Uh, that's horrors, uh, just for clarification. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Um, David. <laughs> and, and so there's even a point where he wrote a poem about um, killing himself. And I think uh, he published it under a pseudonym. And he also had friends barricade him into a house when he was suicidal, when he was in his 20s, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, and that... Uh, there's another instance where they found him wandering around in the woods and, you know, uh, really depressed and kind of contemplating it. And so there's an idea that because he endured so much depression and the spells would eventually let up, that he had hope uh, during the, um, you know, as a president, he could sustain the weight of uh, the pressure of the presidency, especially the war. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you could argue that he carried the more weight during his presidency than any other president. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so his depression didn't let up that much and he, you know, he he lost his mother um, at a young age. Um, he had a son, uh, Tad, I think he died when uh, Lincoln was in his presidency and that really just destroyed him. Hmm. There, there's some evidence that he um, had upswings too in his mood that uh, for brief periods of time, but I think uh, it's been pretty well documented that he suffered from severe depression. Yeah. So, but it didn't stop him from being a president, yeah. you know, or doing all the work he did. Totally. You know, Legacy. Yeah, so it's something that's really impressive to see somebody suffer that much and then do so much yeah. and have so much empathy for uh, other people. So that's the psych fact of the day that Abraham Lincoln uh, was a pretty depressed person, uh, but didn't, didn't let it keep him that down. Yeah. The quote of the week actually comes from Abraham Lincoln. He said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend six sharpening my axe. Yeah, just the analysis and the preparation that goes into anything good. It reminds me like a, and LeBron James winning a championship last night. Hey. That was awesome. Uh, so, you know, how much preparation it goes into dissecting another team. And he said he was watching lots of film and kind of uh, changing his blueprint, his strategy. I'm sure all the players kind of do that. Um, but, you know, to be really great, uh, Sounds like that's the best strategy. Anyways. Go LeBron. Go LeBron James. We love you. Thanks for listening to this session of Questions from the Waiting Room. If you have a question or comment for us to discuss on the show, then email show at atlaspsychiatry.com. If you'd like to learn more about your hosts, Dr. Nick Pajic or David Miller, listen to other shows, or to consult Dr. Pajic for a mental health issue, then visit www.atlaspsychiatry.com. Music production is done by McWordna. To hear more of his work, visit the link in the description. Questions from the Waiting Room is committed to destigmatizing mental health issues and providing psychiatric education to our listeners.
Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees. 